Tonight's episode is brought to you by Vendetti Optics, SurvivalFeeling.com, Sherpa.com, and you, our listeners. Last night, it did cross my mind. It's like, what you wake up with a friggin' buffalo sniffing your face? What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell stories of adventure and the great outdoors, um, adventures and self-discovery. We've gone over it all before. We do it every episode, but hey, we got to like throw it out there every time just in case we get any new listeners, which we are getting. We're starting to take off a little bit, guys, and I love it. And I thank every single one of you, each and every one of you who have shared this show um, in Facebook groups or through Instagram or for Twitter or anywhere that you are sharing. Even word of mouth is actually word of mouth is the very best. All of you who are sharing it with your friends and your hiking groups and your paddling groups. Thank you so much. We are getting some good feedback. We are hearing from more people. We're seeing a lot more downloads. And this thing is finally starting to look a little bit more like an actual viable project of passion that some might call a side hustle. Anyway, I sincerely appreciate you guys. And on that note, I have to say happy birthday to us. This episode marks the one year anniversary of the launch of the Wayward Stories podcast. Be honest with you, I didn't know we'd make it for this full year. I really questioned if I could come up with enough content to make it through a full year. But here we are, and I've even got some episodes in mind in the can to keep moving forward. So even when the well starts to run dry for stories to tell, I begin to... um. Just little things always pop up. Something cool always pops up. We've been through a long dry spell, um, and this is a good segue into what we're going to talk about tonight. We've been through, I've been through a dry spell, having a little bit of trouble coming up with ideas for episodes, um, even though inspiration usually hits at the last minute before I've got to get on recording. Um, Because I haven't got to go on any adventures, guys. Like, we talked about this recently. Like, we talked about how... Me taking the new job that I took, well, the new version of my job with Big Purple, where I travel exclusively, I thought it would give me a lot more time to myself, Um, and it worked out exactly the opposite. It's been nothing but drudgery for the last 10 months now, where it's literally work for two weeks, come home, and which not drudgery to spend all the time with my daughter, but it's work for two weeks, come home, spend literally 10 of the 12 days, 13 days home with her in some capacity for some amount of time, try to record two episodes, do life things like oil changes and grocery shopping and all that kind of good stuff. And at the end of the day, I was like, gosh, before I went over the road exclusively, y'all, I got at least one adventure a month. Um, sometimes two every other weekend. Like I had a way more set schedule with the custody of my child. Um, this has made it where it's compressed all our time together, which is great. She and I actually get more time together, which is a huge bonus, but it actually takes away from any time I have for myself. And that guys, you guys know any of y'all with children out there, you know, you love your children dearly with all of your heart. I know you do. At least most of you do. I deliver to some of y'all that I question it and you make me question humanity sometimes, but most of you guys, good parents love your kids, right? But at some point, you got to have some time that belongs to you, right? 
Like you have to, or you'll lose your brain. I have been in that cycle for about nine months. I've only managed one small adventure in the last nine months. Whereas previously, again, once a month, once every, you know, couple of weeks, heck, I managed to get an actual like five day trip in two years in a row this last summer, which I intended to make it, you know, a pattern for the rest of my life. Cause I spent my whole life working and not ever getting to go on vacation. And I finally got a job where I earned a week's vacation and I started taking those vacations. Um, this last year it didn't get to happen. Um, it didn't get to happen cause all my time is with my child and that's awesome. But it, you know, again, takes away from you time and y'all, I don't know if you guys watched parks and rec, but you remember Tom and Donna in that episode about treat yourself. All right. You got to treat yourself sometimes. And for all of us, it means something different. For me, it means time to myself out there in the wilderness somewhere on some new adventure, some new exploration of something I've never seen and never experienced. And, you know, I haven't got to have that. And y'all, I'd like just being totally transparent earlier this week, just came home from St. Louis, like Sunday night, get home earlier this week. I had like a couple of days here to myself that I needed to get, well, these episodes recorded that I did not. There's a reason for that. It's because I was in a dark hole, y'all. Like I was just all kinds of life circumstances and everything combined and just too much time on the road, not enough time at home, no time to myself. I was in a dark place for a minute and then got my daughter. Things looked up, had her for a good portion of her spring break um, and all through the weekend. And then I was like coming out of this last weekend and I was like, gosh, man, I've got to go. I've got to do something. How am I going to do that? You got two episodes to record to cover you for the next month, right? How are you going to do that? And I started thinking about it and I had this idea and I was like, mm, I don't know about that. And then finally it was like my soul just said, my heart, my gut just said, you go do this now. You will make it work. You're going to make it work because if you don't do this, man, the dark hole you might end up in could be far worse. Like get out and go live and remember what it is. See, I've lost a little bit of sight of it's interesting. This comes about on the anniversary, the birthday of this show, because this show is the product of an idea that was generated in my mind. The genesis of which came three to four years ago to explore spent the rest of my life whenever I have available to be able to go out and see and do an experience because it feeds me it makes me feel like I am growing as a human it makes me feel like it expands opportunities for my future it makes me feel like there is a future for me at least and for the last nine or ten months that's basically not happened and I kind of lost sight of the beauty and the magic of what that means to me on a personal level um and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, this is quintessential wayward son territory here. See to your pants, baby. You've got a couple, you've got like 36 hour window. You could be back by Tuesday afternoon and recording by Tuesday evening in order for this episode to drop in time for its scheduled drop, which is every Tuesday evening or early overnight Wednesday morning, every other. You got to go, dude. You have 36 hours. You preach to these people. Like go back to the episodes, 20 episodes ago, where I talk about getting outside more often, my system for getting outside more often. Like you preach to these people, get out there and go and do it. Whenever you've got a little window, feed your soul. As I said a minute ago, treat yourself, right? So here we are. And I'm in a situation 
where I've got like 36 hours and I have crap I've got to do in that 36 hours, but I had to put it off. I had to, I had to go on an adventure and that happened. So what is this adventure that I ended up taking? Well, y'all, I went to Southwest Oklahoma, some four and a half to five hour drive, depending on the route you take from myself here in Fort Smith, Arkansas over the last 36 hours to explore the mountains there. They are some of the oldest mountains in the entire world. Definitely some of the oldest mountains in the United States. I believe they fall only second or third. It depends on the geologist and the papers that you consult as to when they were created eons and eons and epochs ago. Um, But they basically are right at the top with the Blue Ridge Mountains in Kentucky and the Appalachians in um, the more northeastern parts of the United States. The Rocky Mountains, y'all, get this. The Rocky Mountains are babies. Like, comparatively, in geologic time time frames, the Rocky Mountains are a baby compared to these small Wichita Mountains in southeast Oklahoma. And it seems odd to you because you think of the Rockies and they're huge, right? They just, they look stately and old and, and they are, I mean, they're old by our terms. Like this is like, (laughs) we're like geologic dog years, like, but for the broader picture of geologic time, the, the Rocky mountains are babies. And that's part of why they're so tall is they haven't had nearly as much time to erode. The Wichita mountains are quite short, so to speak, but it's because they've had a lot longer to erode. That's a big part of it. They are the result of a failed continental rift when the continent tried to basically tear itself in half and uh, it didn't work out. Um, They are fascinatingly like folklore rich. They are stunningly beautiful. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about basically me busting out of here to go on this little adventure how good it was for me, for one thing. And we're going to talk about the history of the Wichita Mountains. We're going to talk about my hike. Ultimately, we're talking about my hike and my experience there. But this is going to be kind of a whole-on experiential type of episode. I'm going to tell you why they are mesmerizing, why they are mystical and magical, why they are so beautiful, what is so awesome about them, and all the things that you will find of value in them. We're going to talk about folklore. Y'all, we're going to talk about buried treasure. We're going to talk about outlaw loot. We're going to talk about Spanish gold. And we're not just talking folklore in all those cases. Some of it has been found, documented, found pictures of it in recent memory. I mean, within the last 50 or 60 years. And I didn't even look to see if anything more recent had been found. But this stuff's in books. It's for real, real. Like we're talking Jesse James, Frank James. Cole Younger, guys, for real, and proof that they were there. So there's like so many aspects to these mountains that are so much fun. And we're going to talk about what's so cool about them. So I think that the best way to do this is to like basically just get into it. So going back to my system. All right. At 36 hours, I really didn't have the time to do it, but I was like, I have to. I need this for me. Where could we go? I looked all over Arkansas and I've beaten the asphalt off of the highways in Arkansas for two or three years now. I looked up in Southern Missouri. I looked in Northeastern, um, yeah, Northeastern Texas. I looked in Northwestern Louisiana, Southeastern Arkansas. Y'all that's the majority of my haunts. I'm running out of places that I haven't already seen or gone. And though many of them are beautiful and they could in a pinch make a great return trip. And many of them are on my return list with other things to do there, but that's not what I was feeling this time, guys. I was feeling, 
I need a taste of that open road. I need a taste of that kind of magic in my mind, at least that exists around the idea of experiencing something wholly new to me. And I kind of started looking, I was like, wait a second, wait a second, Justin, Wichita mountains. You remember them, right? How far, how far, how far Google it up. Hmm. One tank of gas, five hour drive or four to four and a half, depending on the route you choose. And I was like, Hmm, boy, that's a lot of driving to have like maybe a solid 12 to 14 hours of full exploration of this place. But Hey, Hey, Hmm. What do you think, Justin? And I finally decided, you know, I almost talked myself out of it. I'll be honest with you guys. I was like, you've got so much you need to do, man. But I was like, I could feel the depression of the feeling of having to stay here and do these things that really needed to get done. But I could also feel the majesty, so to speak. I mean, that's not a, an accurate word to use of the idea of getting to see something new in that open road. And it ultimately what sold me was, is I realized it's like, yo, you haven't felt this feeling in quite a while. This is probably why you're experiencing a lot of the, the, the time down in the dumps having the blues that you have been because you've been locked in this death cycle in this mortal coil where you're not really getting to chase or follow the things that you love. You can give up 36 hours, man. You can squeeze an episode out in an afternoon. You know, you can make it happen. It's going to be a lot of work, but you know, you can, you got 36 hours, bro, go, go and do it. And that's what sold me. So it speaks to my ability to get up and go kind of at the drop of a hat, which is a great example. It is an object lesson of what I preached to you guys for so long, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier, you got to go guys. If you want to live this life, you can't keep living in the excuses of why you can't, which we talked about. And I tried to combat with counterpoints of, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I know that you don't have that time all the time on a recurring basis, but this is a great example. This kind of popped up out of nowhere. It's kind of like the whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. It's like his little head popped up out of nowhere. I was like, oh, wait a second. Actually, you've got a minute, dude. You've got a minute. Can you make something happen in this minute? And because of the system that I've sort of outlined for you guys as something of a template for you to possibly use, I was able to. All I had to do was go get my single small overnight bag that stays packed to go. And y'all, all you got to do, all you got to do is keep a travel bag in it with a little ball, ball, um, bottle of like body wash or shampoo if you need it, toothbrush, toothpaste, just the little simple things. Guys, it's not expensive to have two of all those. It's really not. <laughs> the ones that live in your shower at home and the ones that live in your travel bag so that basically you can just grab your travel bag and go and not have to pack up half your bathroom. You get what I'm saying? And also like an extra phone charger and whatever kind of charges you might need that just live in that bag and never leave that bag until you were somewhere in a hotel or a and b or wherever the heck you are. Um, it's not hard to have that bag. So I grabbed my bag. I threw in a couple of pair of unmentionables. I threw in a couple of pair of basketball shorts, a couple of t-shirts and y'all like turned the thermostat down in the house, filled up my tiny little bag cooler. Cause I only had 36 hours with drinks out of my own refrigerator and I hit the road. I mean, I'm talking, I was out the door within 30 minutes of finally making the decision to hit the road. 
almost immediately felt like this burden lift off my shoulder in this relief. I suddenly was excited again for a minute. I suddenly, my mind was reeling with, I can't wait to see this. I can't wait to check out some of these things that I've heard and I've read about. Um, and I mean, I mean, I'm talking y'all just three or four hours into the trip, not even that long, but like by three or four hours into my drive down, by the time I was getting there, um, it had already been worth it. Like it had already been worth it because it reset me mentally and emotionally in so many ways, just being able to go and do and see, um, that out of the way. Now let's talk about these mountains and why they are alluring to me and why I felt the need to go there. The Wichita Mountains, as I just mentioned, are one of the oldest in the entire world mountain ranges. Um, they are really interesting for multiple reasons. One is just out of geological perspective and natural physical beauty. Any of you guys that love, um, well, I mean, say Arizona, say New Mexico, say Colorado, when you get above the tree line, right? Now, these mountains are only 2,000 feet, 2,500-ish feet above sea level. The Rockies get up, God, you got, what do you call them, 14ers that I was on, Mount Sherman and all that last year. Um, these are like way shorter than that, but they jut up prominently from the southern plains. I mean, we're talking right on the border of Texas and Oklahoma, um, in Southwest Oklahoma. And when I say like, sometimes you'll read in a narrative, you guys read a lot, you read narratives, you'll see something and you'll hear something like, as we rode up upon, you know, the mountains rose abruptly from the plain. That's exactly what these do. You were driving through verdant prairies, y'all. You were driving through tall grass prairies and literally suddenly the rocks just come up out of the ground. I mean, like there's a place where I'm driving on the prairie um, on one of the highways that ring the southernmost edge between Fort Sill Military Res Reservation, um, which is on the Lawton side of these mountains on the southern end and the mountain to my north. And I'm literally like less than probably six to eight hundred yards, maybe even less at certain places. And it's like I'm on prairie mountain goes straight up like, you know, several hundred feet. They rise abruptly from the plain because they are so old and because they are made of granite. Um, they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. And it's, you know, you're in the Southern plains, but you're in kind of where it's becoming higher plains. It's a very arid environment up in those mountains. And to that end, they very much resemble the desert. They really do. And they kind of are, they're filled with cactus. They are filled with, um, old, old, crazy old cedar trees. Um, some even, and I don't want to like be wrong about this. Somebody going to come at me because God, you can't say nothing on the interwebs without someone coming at you for something. But like, I think there were juniper trees in there. I am not a botanist, so to speak, but they looked like very much like the juniper trees you will see way up in the Buffalo river, up on big bluff, up in those very arid regions on the side of bluff faces. Y'all, like there's a little bit of water, very little. It's hot as heck in there. It feels like a desert. It looks like a desert. It is strewn with strewn with boulders. It's absolutely like gorgeous, but also it has that kind of mystical feeling about it, which so many mountains and um, rock formations, especially in the desert, the desert Southwest have, but it's like in the Southern Plains, like anyone live in Texas, anyone y'all live in Arkansas, like me, Oklahoma, Louisiana, probably even Missouri. 
don't want to drive. Are you feeling it? You feeling the feeling the flow? Really wanting to go see some of the desert? I mean, I'm not the only one that loves the desert. I have friends that think I'm nuts. They're like, it's boring out there. I, it's gorgeous out there. Once you get, we mentioned it in a different episode much earlier on. Once you get past like basically the Texas panhandle, say on Interstate 40 heading west, it suddenly becomes this gorgeous landscape of buttes and mesas and arroyos and like it's the desert, but it's beautiful. It's not boring at all. Um, and that's what this little little section of mountains that just rises right up in the southwestern portion of Oklahoma is. And it's a lot closer. You ain't got to drive 16 hours to Colorado. You don't have to drive 14 or 15 over into New Mexico and Arizona. You can make a four or five hour drive and get a taste of it. And when I get into describing it a little bit later, my actually hike through and all the sights and sounds and things that I saw, I mean, I really think you guys are going to want to get yourselves out there and go check out the Wichita Mountains. There are several ways to do it. The mountains themselves are divided up into um, the Wichita Mountain um, Wildlife Refuge, which is, I believe, about 59,000 acres. I mean, it's just over. I would love to just say 60,000, but it's actually just barely over 59,000. Um, and there are multiple dimensions of it. There are places within it. There's a special use area. That's a huge portion of it. And it is, I'm talking wildlife refuge, refuge. You don't be messing around in there. Special use permit type of stuff. Only the occasional guided tour inside it's, it's special use refuge. I'm going to tell you why this is something you're going to love. It's because that area down there, is a refuge for elk and also bison, the American buffalo. Um, this herd that is in um, the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge and also into the neighboring sections of it, which we're going to talk about, like um, Sharon's Garden, which is where I went and hiked um, down in the southern portion of the mountains, even down into there. They have a buffalo herd that they grew from 16 buffalo. I don't know when they started this program of rebreeding them, but 16 Buffalo, which were almost extinct. Y'all have a little buddy on the Facebook. We're going to go on a Justin tangent here. We're going to go on a wayward son tangent for five seconds. And he's very opinionated as many teenagers are as I once was, but also filled with very little information to back it up and gets all of his information spouted from the parrot talking heads on the Facebook and other places and he was going off recently, and I kept to myself, I don't like fighting with people, but he was going off recently about how illegal it is for the government to manage game and tell us what we can and can't shoot. And I'm like, bro, do you not have history in high school? Like, have you not seen the pictures of Buffalo Bill Cody up on the Northern Plains piles and piles of buffalo carcasses, piles of bones like those fields that have you ever seen a Civil War battlefield? Some of those more, I mean, honestly, grim pictures where there are just bodies everywhere. Have you guys seen the pictures that look like that where they're just buffaloes lying? Buffalo, not buffaloes. Buffalo lying by the hundreds, by the thousands across these prairies, skinned, left to rot, not eat the meat off of, not used for any other purpose, but just for the pelt. We literally nearly extincted an absolutely amazing creature, and we have extincted many others. I assure you, my good friends, 
there is a good valid reason <laughs> to have a park service and to have a wildlife management um, division within our parks and our services. I freaking assure you, we took this thing from near extinction and there's decent herds. Yeah, it's still endangered to my knowledge. I mean, it's still they definitely aren't like deer or antelope antelope like I mentioned up in my my Great American Road Trip episode. They aren't out there by the billions like they're still in trouble. And this game reserve where you're not allowed to go shoot anything you want anytime you want has grown a herd of an almost extinct animal from 16 to almost 650 currently. That's impressive. That's a win. That is a something in the win column. And it's important for that, guys. I try not to get on too many soapboxes. I definitely don't like to get political and I'm all about personal freedoms. But y'all, I also work in search and rescue. I also work with the public. I also hike extensively in our national parks in places that are not protected by our national parks. And the truth of the matter is... If we don't police it, to be really honest, y'all, I'm being really honest. If we don't police it, we destroy it right here in this area that I went to this weekend. There's a place called the Spanish Treasure Cave. You can hike out there to it. It has like some ancient petroglyph type of carvings in it. It's absolutely beautiful, but not protected um, as a part of the parks. It's outside of a boundary or whatever. Covered, covered in spray paint graffiti like awesome, Katie. I'm glad you love JL. 2019. Peace. Awesome. I'm glad you like that because now this beautiful formation looks like crap because you're that cool. Glad you're that cool. Guys, there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason we have to protect things and it takes some kind of enforcement to protect things like hot take, I guess. I might get skewered for this. Apparently this kind of talk is a hot take, um, especially here in the South, but like we don't. We don't take care of stuff. We don't manage our own business. We just destroy it. I, I, I mean, I adjure you to take a drive through these beautiful Ozark Mountains of ours. They are gorgeous. We have wonderful landscapes. But y'all, just take a drive through and you'll look around and go, what if, what have so many of you people done to this place? It makes no sense to me. But we destroy our surroundings because we're just destructive by nature, apparently. Anyway. I got to stop. I'm on a soapbox and I need to stop because I don't take probably half y'all off. But y'all, I believe in that wholeheartedly. I believe in our park service. I believe in the protection of the things that we have out there because there are like hundreds, if not thousands of ready examples of what happens when we don't protect these kinds of things and things that even are protected. The Buffalo River, y'all, celebrating 50 years protected as a national scenic river, America's very first national scenic river. And we'll have an episode this year sometime, probably coming up in the next few months, celebrating its 50th anniversary and talking all about it. It to this day is fighting battles and it's protected because of commercial hog farming just outside of its boundaries and all of the pig crap <laughs> and all of the the sloth ponds where the crap goes and the algae within it and the, the bacteria within it are running off through the groundwater into the river and created an algae problem that's starting to kill portions of the river. It's protected and we're still screwing it up. So like, don't tell me this crap. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's enough. That's enough from Justin. I've gotten worked up. But before you speak, do your research. And understand why certain things exist in this world. 
there are a lot of times really good, really tangible reasons for it. Anyway, off of my soapbox. I hope you guys enjoyed <laughs> listening to me go on a tangent. I can get a little bit excited about things that I really care about sometimes. Um, Back to the Wichita Mountains. So, all of these refuges, all of this game filled with buffalo, also filled with elk, also filled with deer. All of these are protected. And there's a gosh, a gob, a whole smattering of species of different kinds from, you know, reptiles to mammals to every birds, everything in between. Absolutely filled with them. And y'all, I can speak to that. And we are going to speak to that when we talk more about my actual hike through there. Um, Wichita Mountains, where did the name come from? Because we also have over in the southeastern state, the Washita Mountains, which that is a French word. Um, and it means land of the big hunt or land of big game is basically where the, the natives hunted bison and buffalo. Um, but this is different, even though the names sound somewhat similar and can even appear somewhat similar. And you might think they're like connected somehow and just a colloquial wording that got spelled. That kind of stuff happens a lot in history. Um, but that's not the case. This is actually the combination of two native words from the Wichita natives, which was Wheats and Ita. And it, it literally means the man of the north. Um, why it's called that? No one, I, to my, what I could find, I'm not really sure, but that's what it was called. And the French traders that came through back in the, I believe, 1700s, um, basically assigned that name to the group in the area, to the mountains. And it became the Wichita mountains. And it literally means the man of the North. These mountains are so cool. Y'all like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, not only do they have all the things that I've just mentioned, but they also very much have many, many, many treasure tells. And now that I have ranted on for literally 30 minutes, um, I think I'm going to go ahead and cut us to a break. And then we'll talk about some of those treasure tells and my hike on the other side of the break. We'll keep it nice and, and just kind of keep it cleaned up. Um, anyway, you guys hang around for, I don't know, about 60 seconds and we'll be right back on the other side of the break. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code waywardstories. And welcome back. Appreciate you guys hanging around through the break. Let's start out with talking about just a couple of the little treasure tells and kind of the history behind it. Because truly, that's where my interest in them started. Back 20 years ago, when I was still but a young man, I very much loved the idea of treasure hunting. I had actually multiple and some high dollar deep sensing metal detectors. Um, and I want to be clear that I wasn't out there trying to get rich. Um, that actually never even crossed my mind. I love the history that much. Like if you ever find something and y'all, I have found some things. I have an entire box of artifacts that I have discovered from giant 
belt buckles with long horns steer on them and steer on them, imprinted on them, etched on them to um, the decorative flourishes that would have been on the side of a rifle stamped 1865 or 66 inside that. I have found some really, really cool stuff. And to me, that's what I loved about metal detecting um, because you touch history. It's in your hand. And you you sit there and you just think, like, how did it end up here? What happened here? You know, like this, I'm standing in a time capsule all its own. If you could just jump back in time 140 years, this guy's standing right here on this spot when he lost this buckle or lost this rifle butt or whatever. Um, It's really, really fascinating stuff. So I have a lot of great books lying around because that's just what I do in life. When something catches my interest for a minute, I pick up and buy and find every book I can find about it. I read myself sick on it and then it just comes becomes a part of my my toolkit so to speak my my knowledge that I have begun to accrue throughout my life like I will still go back to it at times but nothing really obsesses me for entire lengths of time things come and go um but they just remain there it's not like they go away forever and this is one of those things that you know I put down quite a long time ago but still fascinates me I'm glad I did all the things I did back then when I was into it and I'm happy now today to have had that interest because it gives me some information to bestow upon you and maybe just get you thinking along these lines and it's it's really enjoyable stuff to think about so one of the books I have is called Oklahoma Treasure and Treasure Tells. Um, Steve Wilson, I believe, is the the author. I could go over there and look, but I'm not going to get up and do that right now. But anyway, it's Oklahoma Treasure and Treasure Tells. If you were interested in it, you could Google it and find that. Um, it is just a whole volume of collected stories and even some collected evidence of many, many, many of the folklores and stories of buried treasure um, throughout the state of Oklahoma. And it's a great book. It's so much fun to read those old kind of tales. Like guys, like I said, even if you're not trying to get rich, which I never was, but are those kinds of stories, do they not just permeate the entirety of not just American culture, but all cultures, but there's something about the mystique of that idea. The, the, the Spanish conquistadors and the Spaniards of the 16 and 1700s, the French trappers that came through and the supposed, you know, gold mine, especially the Spanish. There are so many supposed gold mines. It's like, it has a mystique and a mystery all its own that just, it's intriguing, intriguing, like it just draws you in for so many people. And I am one of those people. Well, the Wichita mountains are filled with that very same kind of history. Many, many stories um, about Spanish gold up to like $2 million worth, which a lot of these reports were from like the 1960s and 70s. So it probably would have been the value of the day of whatever was supposedly deposited. Um, treasure maps mysterious people that come into town with a treasure map looking for two or three men to pay day wages to basically run a shovel, you know, go out there and do the back breaking work of the digging, get, you know, get a crew with a bunch of burrows, a bunch of donkeys to take out there. And they're all cryptic and, and kind of mystic, um, have a mystique about them and mysterious. And, they come and a lot of times they disappear in the night without a trace. A lot of times they disappear. Um, and what's left behind is a big hole in the ground. And it's always left to speculation. Did they find what they were looking for? Well, in the Wichita mountains, there is enough evidence that exists that some of those stories may very well be true. 
a little bit further west than the Wichita Mountains, there have been multiple, multiple like batches of artifacts pulled out of the ground that are literally provably historically Spanish conquistador armor, chainmail, um, like weaponry. For real, guys, like go look it up. It's fascinating. In southwestern Oklahoma, think about that. And there were known Spanish trade routes through north um northern Texas, which is goes and butts right along southwestern Oklahoma with nothing but the Red River betwixt them. Um, and there's evidence of Spanish and Spaniards in the area. And the stories just abound. Like one of them, this is one of my favorite ones, and it's told from many different variations. Um, but this one is specifically a Spanish um, variation of it, um, where it has Spaniards who have like 17 or 20 or whatever jackloads of gold, however much that amounts to, um, on donkeys, on burrows, and they travel into the mountains. And they secrete away all of this gold because, you know, they got the local natives hot on their trail um, trying to kill them. And somehow an iron door is erected. It's also tied to Belle Star that she supposedly took the iron door off of the rail car that they, um, I think the mail, the, the railway express, the mail car of the train that she robbed. Um, but any way you go about it, the story variation I'm telling is of the Spaniards. And this iron door somehow gets placed over the mouth of this cave. It's set into the rock to some degree. And over the centuries, this is what's fascinating is I don't know when it was first sighted, but I believe it was in the 1850s, between the 1850s and 1870s would be my guess um, from what I can remember. And it was someone in the deep canyons. These canyons, y'all, they're slot canyons. They're box canyons. They are finger-like. They go out in all directions. Y'all, when, when I talk about my hike, I mean, I had GPS and downloaded tracks and was having trouble finding my way through those canyons. It's that wild back in there. It is that rugged and wilderness. Um, but I believe it started with young boys who were traveling through the canyons, which was not uncommon in those days to go from this town to that town and take the old pathways and the trails or whatever, and saw glinting in the sunlight, this iron door up on a mountainside. And they're like, dang, that's fascinating. So they got back to that place, wherever it was that they were trying to get to and asked the people there, have you ever seen an iron door up in the mountains? Do you know what it is? And they got really excited about it. They're like, we know exactly what that is. There's a legend that says and tells the story of the, the Spanish jackloads of gold. And everyone forms a party and they go back out the next day to find it. And the boys are just absolutely certain they can go back the same trails and find the same location they were at um, where they were able to see it, but were unable to relocate it. This story plays out over and over again every decade or two throughout into like literally I think the 1930s or 40s guys like there's been multiple sightings and every time that people go back and try to locate where they saw it um and this wasn't like guys this is way pre-internet this is barely I mean newspapers were not even widely circulated back in those days so these stories would be local legends but they wouldn't be at the tip of everyone's mind and necessarily everyone out there looking. Many of the people that saw this, even in later iterations into the 30s and 40s, were like, hey, we saw like an iron door when I was riding my horse through the canyon coming over to see you guys. Do you guys know what that is? They didn't even know what it was, even though it was in local mythology. Um, they'd be like, oh, God, yes, we know what it is. Let's go find it every time. Can never relocate it. And a couple of stories, the people did try to breach the door um, went to it immediately and then could not breach it because of a giant padlock 
giant iron door, you know, just a huge metal heavy door. And they obviously weren't carrying around a bunch of dynamite and tools when they found it and tried to go back with the party and even tried to leave cairns and different things and waypoints. And when they went back, they could never relocate it. So the lost cave with the iron door is a huge part of the mythology of the Wichita mountains. And it actually is said to exist by all accounts, all eyewitness reports that have ever been collected in the Sharon's garden or Sharon's garden. It's actually all, by the way, quickly, if you Google it, and you go to go hiking there, you're going to see Sharon's Garden. It's C-H-A-R-O-N-S. I'm expecting most people are going to pronounce it that way, and that's why I'm pronouncing it that way, is to like kind of alleviate confusion. But it's actually pronounced Karen, and it's from um, Greek mythology. That was the ferryman to Hades. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, I love it. It's kind of dark and bleak, man, like the the ferryman to Hades, like this guy's like a little devil dude and this is his garden. And it's cool because that's such a great, it's such a great description of it. Cause it's like boulder strewn fields, like craggy outcroppings, granite hot as heck. When I was hiking, it was like 87 degrees ambient air temperature. That's a nice temperate day. Y'all I was dying because those granite mountains heat up and they come at you. That heat reflects straight onto you. And I mean, I got a sunburn, y'all. I mean, you can see it. Look at my poor bald head, my poor old man bald head. Like, I got a sunburn yesterday. Um, It's hot out there, and it's not even the 1st of April yet. Like, we're still in March. So just be aware of that when you do go hiking there. But how great of a description is this Karen's Garden? The ferryman of Hades' garden. This is where he hangs out. Like, this is where he goes home and relaxes. And, you know, he Netflixes and chills there. Um, anyway, the lost cave with the iron door is said to exist by all accounts, all eyewitness testimony within the Karen's garden area or Sharon's, as I said, which is probably what most people call it is my guess. Um, north of get this, it's north of treasure Lake, north of the Spanish cave or Spanish treasure cave. Um, it's literally in the area that I hiked, supposedly, in between Wildcat Mountain, which I also hiked up a little bit yesterday afternoon, but it's all within this area, y'all. That is so cool and so fascinating. It's such a draw in and of itself to me because multiple reasons. Number one, like I said, I don't expect to get rich out there. I don't expect to find this treasure cave. It most likely doesn't exist. It most likely is an early variation of an urban legend, much like we have crybaby bridges today throughout the United States. There are other iron doors. It's just a fascinating tale and so many variations of it can be told and it just gets more interesting and it just feeds our human desire, our need, our psyche to have that mystery to try to unravel. Right. Um, and also human greed, we all want money, but I love it because of the historical aspect. What if it is real? And what could that tell us about the history of the area? What could that confirm things that might just be supposed? What could it confirm if it were found? What might be inside it? Was it Spanish gold or was it Bell Star loot or was it something else that we don't even know what it is? But just being in the area more than anything was fascinating is number one, you are treading the ground of all these people who tread before you in that history, in that historical time frame where they thought they saw it. And they brought search parties back and you have like boots on the ground, eyes on the granite 
as you walk through there and see how unforgiving the terrain is, you see how hot and arid it is. You see the rattlesnakes for God's sake. You see how little water there is. And you, it, I mean, it's, that was another cool part every so often. And it y'all it's drought conditions down there. I saw entire giant bowls of red, which were what you would call when it's rainy and damp enough, a pond made in the red dirt of southwestern Oklahoma. And there was no water in them. Like they're under extreme drought conditions, but there were several places in the canyon where you came across one small pool of water. And it's like, it's really neat to find a spring. Not because I needed the water yesterday necessarily, because again, it connects you to your forebears. It connects us to our history. It connects us to the early explorers and the early Native Americans who lived here first. A source of water like that in an environment that arid and that hot is literally a source of life. And it's like you can almost feel the weight of the value of that one little pool of water. And it's just so neat. There's something very organic. And I don't know a better word that actually sounds and feels right here. There's something very organic about the experience of seeing that little pool of water in a historic setting like this, where you know so many pioneers and, and others came before and what that would mean to them. See, there, there's that whole aspect in my mind, because I love history, I love folklore, I love all the things about it. There's that whole aspect of walking through these fabled hills, these hills of renown that have had stories told about them, these mountains for time immemorial, and seeing how absolutely treacherous they are, how easy it is to get lost, even with GPS, and imagine them with no GPS, with no anything. Y'all, it's really, really fascinating. It's really, really rugged there. It's a never-ending network of canyons and slot canyons and box canyons and trails that branch in every direction and you walk halfway down it and suddenly there's nowhere to go. You've hit a dead end and you have to come back and find the trail you were on. It's all of that and then some. And there's just a connection to something there that I absolutely love about it. Um, Another story about treasure in the... <laughs> there's gold in them there hills. Another story about treasure in them there hills, them there hills is that of Jesse and Frank James. And this one is far better documented. And a lot of it, y'all, a good portion of it has been found, documented, photographed. It's for real. And Frank James, after Jesse James was killed, Frank was James's, uh, Jesse's brother. He moved to Lawton. He moved actually into the Wichita Mountains between the Wichita Mountains and the um, Keechee Hills. And anyway, he lived. He, he farmsteaded there for the rest of his life. And he went into the hills all the time and locals who knew him were like, we know what he's looking for. And there's a whole story, a backstory of when he and Jesse and Cole Younger and a whole gang of them raided some kind of a, some kind of a, a either a train or a wagon train or a pay train somewhere in Northern Mexico. And they ran that dude across the prairies of Texas and all these guys, the outlaws, y'all, there's some a reason so many outlaws are associated with the state of Oklahoma is because before 1906, Oklahoma was Indian territory. It was the land that we forced native Americans onto when we relocated them through multiple trails of tears from Southeastern United States and other various locations. But most of the most notable tribes came from the Southeast Chata, the Cherokee, et cetera, et cetera. And it was Indian territory till 1906. There was no federal law in Indian territory. So all the outlaws went to Indian territory, which goes down a whole nother rabbit hole of law and justice in the <laughs> lawless Indian territory. There was a saying, I always loved this saying, um, Fort Smith, Arkansas 
historically where I live is a very famous and prominent position in the American West. And you don't think of it that way because everyone thinks of like Tombstone and Dodge City and all of these things. But in the days where it was Indian territory and all the outlaws went there, there was a saying that was in the, you know, literally the countrywide newspapers um, across the United States and the periodicals. And it was, there is no Sunday west of St. Louis, which was just a reference to it's starting to get pretty lawless out there. That's becoming the west, west of St. Louis. But it finished with, there is no God west of Fort Smith. All of this was to illustrate how lawless and cutthroat the Indian Territory was because the outlaws basically had refuge there and could be out of the reach of the long arm of the law until Judge Isaac C. Parker was established in Fort Smith, Arkansas at the federal courts here. Um, And that court system was put in place and built. And they put together a crap ton of U.S. Marshals, um, most notable of which is Bass Reeves. And there's supposed to be a movie being made or has already been made about him. Um, Gosh, that's why we got the U.S. Marshals Museum right here. And I think they're still working on getting it open. But it's a big deal. Fort Smith was a big deal in the Western frontier, y'all. Because that's where the Marshals went out into the Indian Territory, which is now... Oklahoma to try to get those outlaws who were hiding there. And it is ostensible to think that they were hiding their loot in some of these caves. And we know for a fact they were because we have loot that has been found and documented and photographed on record. One of these stashes was Jesse and Frank James found in the Wichita mountains and was supposedly According to the old brass bucket that was found with the contract between Jesse, Frank, Cole Younger, and this whole gang, that it was just a taste of what the rest was. And the rest of it was never found. And this was well after Jesse was killed um, in St. Joseph, Missouri. So, y'all, that stuff might be out there unless somebody picked it up, found it, got it out by cover of night. That stuff might be out there like that just really adds to the mystery and the mystique, does it not, of the Wichita Mountains. It makes it so much fun to consider. And also, like, know this, it is illegal to treasure hunt there now because of the game reserve and archaeological laws, etc., etc. But know this, it's still there. Some of it could be, and you could find. I mean, if you go through those mountains and those crags long enough and you end up in those slot canyons far enough back and you see something that might look like letters carved into a rock... And you go up and you see Oro, O-R-O, it's a Spanish word for gold. You might find evidence of things that did happen. And you can stand there and put your hands on history like those carvings. And who knows what else you might find. And like, yeah, can you dig it up? No, you can't. But you can see it. You can report it. You can have it archaeologically, you know, examined. You can put it on the radar, the University of Oklahoma or anyone else with a good archaeology program that cares about what's going on in the state of Oklahoma. Um, There's so many things and it's all there. Like you literally are walking in that history when you hike through the Wichita Mountains, especially, especially the the Karen's Garden area Um, north of Treasure Lake, north of the Spanish Treasure Cave. Like it's just it's fascinating. It's mysterious. It's enigmatic. It's all of the cool alliterative words, and I love it. Um, anyway, there's more than just, you know, stashed away loot and gold of sorts. There was also one of the last gold rushes in the United States 
Um, and it's definitely the last gold rush west of the, or I'm sorry, east of the Rocky Mountains. But it's one of the very last of all. Like it was after the 49ers and the 59ers. And it was just before the latest one we know of, which I believe was in um, Oats. Oatman, Oatman, Arizona, because I went there and I ended up researching it and reading all about it. I think that was in 1915, if memory serves. But anyway, this was one of the very last gold rushes. And it was a for real gold rush, y'all. Like, it was like the 49ers and the 59ers. Thousands of people descended on those hills. Towns sprang up everywhere that are now ghost uh, ghost towns. There is mining equipment littered across certain portions of those mountains. And if you're out there and you're exploring, you may come across some of that history. And that's another way that it feels like Colorado in those upper high reaches of the Rockies. It's another way it feels like Arizona and New Mexico, y'all. It's It's got all the things that you can get when you feel the drive, the need to go out west and get a taste of that desert southwest or the Rocky Mountains and all the history and the mining history and the things that are fascinating like that, along with the natural beauty, of course, and the wildlife and the flora, the fauna. There's a touch of that. There is a taste of that deep in southwest Oklahoma in a place that you could, for the intrepid adventurer, spend, I would say, easily several days. And have an itinerary for every day of somewhere new, but it is wilderness. It ain't like itinerary. You can go big splash, y'all. It's itinerary for the backwoods person. It's itinerary for the person who wants to go and see some vast, unadulterated wilderness. And some wildlife that you can't see hardly anywhere else anymore where it is being safely protected. Um, But yeah, there were gold mines up there. What's interesting is it was a huge gold rush. And it lasted for like four years. But like what's so weird about it is they never found any gold of appreciable value, like of commercial value enough to actually like justify the tens of thousands of dollars. But y'all do that math. 120 years later, what was $10,000? What's that in today's money? It's a bunch. People spent on building these smelters and um, furnaces and like no one ever really found any gold. It's almost like it was all based on a few little nuggets that came up and a bunch of rumors and the hopes of of, of a fading generation of old miners. I mean, honestly, the gold rushes had a romanticism all their own and a mystique even back in the days of the old timers that went on those adventures. And they heard wind of another gold rush, another gold boom. They wanted in, man. They were living their glory days of their youth. And in anyone in, you know, an economically depressed country that was staring down the barrel, getting real close to staring down the barrel of a great depression in a dust bowl, money, money. What am I doing sitting here other than farming dust by the pile? Let's go. Let's go check it out. So it's, it's really fascinating. And there's so much history there to check out and so many tales of lore. Um, I honestly think I've set this up in as far as I can set it up with all of the background, all the history, all of why I wanted to go out there. Um, and I hope it's all on point. I feel like it was. It's all at least telling why it was interesting to me. And if you still find it interesting, like let's, you know, hang on around for another minute and let's get into it. Let's talk about my hike. I started in um, at the Karen's Garden Trailhead, which is right between, again, Sharon or Karen, right between Post Oak Lake and treasure lake just a little bit north of the spanish treasure cave and there is a parking trailhead there there is a warning sign that lets you know 
there are wild animals in here like buffalo. Um, there is no water in here that is potable, potable. So bring your own or bring a way to make clean water like a life straw, like many things we've mentioned before. It lets you know right up front the trails are not marked in any way, shape or form. Like y'all, let me emphasize you need to get you a GPS that you can pre-download the topo of the area and even possibly a track. I went ahead and did that because View Ranger did a thing and really upset me. I've had them for several years. It was a one-time app purchase of like 15 or 16 bucks, and it was one of the best GPSs I've ever owned. I've told so many people over the years, you need to go buy this. It's better than any standalone $500 freaking Garmin you can get your hands on. And I know this from experience, I promise you, for $15. And they rolled over into a new company, and their yearly subscription now is like exorbitant. And I was like, no. I'm sorry, forget you. I'm not paying $160 a year, what the heck ever, to like have access to topo maps that I'd, you know, and GPS offline data that I very rarely need. Um, There's no way it's justifiable. So I had to try something else, but I did use all trails and I did get their yearly subscription. Um, They had like a 50% off sale. So it was like 14 bucks and I get to download the topos and the tracks of people that have gone before me. So I did that. Y'all, it's so remote. It's so rugged. Not necessarily easy to get turned around as long as you can see the sun. If the sun was off, if there were clouds, yeah, you could get turned around. But with the sun, I always knew what north was. I wasn't ever lost, lost. And I did have a GPS in my hand pinging off a satellite somewhere on a downloaded, pre-downloaded map. There is no cell service. But like I was lost in so many ways. The trails that I was trying to follow, whoever did it before me, like I don't know what the hell he was doing or she, they like bushwhacked straight across friggin' mountain ranges and boulder fields that I don't know how anyone got through there. I don't know if they were doing like a mix of like extreme hiking and rock climbing and bouldering, but they weren't trails. I tried to follow the old trail that was on the topo map, which appears to be the 67 version of that topo map from what I can tell. And it wasn't really passable anymore. I'm sure in the 60 years since that version of the map, there's boulders that have moved down in that valley with, you know, flash floods and whatnot. It was tough to get through, guys. It is a difficult rated hike for multiple reasons, not just um, the, the elevation gains, not just the fact that it's not marked, but it's rugged terrain and it is hot as hell and there are rattlesnakes and it's, it's wilderness. It is for real wilderness. And if that's what you're after, if you want that experience, boy, howdy, it's waiting for you there. I spent so much time y'all like I, it's a 9.3 kilometer hike that I made last night, yesterday afternoon and last night, I ended up doing almost 16, 16, oh, 16.1 kilometers because a big part of it is because my route track looked like a tree. Like it came up from the, the parking area and it'd be a line out and back, line out and back, either side, just back and forth, just chasing trails that I could find and trying to find a smooth, clear trail to take me through where I'm going and just hitting dead ends and having to come back to the trail I just left. It took forever to get through there. I mean, several more hours than it should have. And I wasn't the only one. Before anyone out there judges me or anyone has been to Karen's garden starts trying to judge me, let me tell you something. I met six different groups of people out there, you know, a couple of individuals, a couple of couples, a boy, you know, a man and a man, and his wife. Uh, there was a, a young guy and his girlfriend and all of them looked experienced enough 
they had the right kind of gear on. They had the right kind of packs. They weren't out there in flip-flops and fanny packs and, you know, made a mistake and got into something they shouldn't have. They looked definitely experienced enough. Many of them had um, GPSs, and we would get together. We'd, I'd be like, you know where the heck you are? And they'd be like, no, no, we have no idea. I wouldn't. It wasn't just me. It was everyone out there. Um, and again, we knew where we were. We weren't lost, lost. But I'm just trying to impress upon you how rugged, it is how steep those slot canyons can be, how fast you can end up basically not knowing where you are. So I highly, highly recommend making sure you have GPS downloaded. And also, and this will become apparent as to the importance of this gear, how much it can be in a minute, a little battery bank backup. I always have one with me um, and I'm glad I did last night and you should too. And your hiking pack, it should just be a part of it. Anywho, so I made my way in. Finally, first, one of the first things I do I come up over a rise, maybe a quarter of a mile into the hike, and there's Buffalo just standing there looking at me. Like, actually, he's laying there looking at me, and I, I walked over closer. I was trying to take video, and then I couldn't zoom in far enough, so I got closer and closer and closer, and I got within 100 yards. And I was getting to my point. Like, I am not the guy. I'm not about intruding on wildlife like you see a lot of people do in these videos that go viral. Um I was just trying to get close enough to get an image without feeling like I was breaching or disturbing it, breaching its space or disturbing it in any way, shape or form that not only just for my safety, but because like just respecting that damn animal, that thing's majestic, right? So like I get within about a hundred yards, I get as much video as I can and he stands up and he looks right at me and he's all tensed up and I'm like, Hmm, I'm not sure about this. So I video a little more and in my head, I wasn't trying to tell up telepathically communicate with an animal by any means, but in my head, just the way my brain works, I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, Hey bro, like I'm just here to take a picture of you, man. Like all due respect, I ain't here to hurt you. And I'm going to see my way right out the dough. And I swear to you, no sooner than I said in my mind, right out the dough, it's like his whole body relaxed and he turned his head to the left. And for a second, I was like, what? Wait a second. Did I just like, communicate with that animal nah no i know i didn't don't 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 start thinking justin's that woo woo but it's like it was such a funny coincidence because i'm just in my mind more like talking myself down from this guy might be a little upset with me being here and i'm gonna see my way out before he gets upset and like as soon as i was like i'm heading out man thanks for the picture it's like he's just relaxed like okay cool see you later now go it was funny but Anyway, these buffalo, there were two of them there. They're, God, y'all need to see one in person, y'all. It's amazing to see it literally out there, free range. It's free range out there. They're just going wherever they want to go. And it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's just something special you need to check out. You need to see for yourself because that's a rarity in our modern world and something that was the way it was for, God, 100 million Native Americans before European contact. And for so long after European contact until literally like the whole Buffalo Bill Cody and that era of time where it was like, man, we can sell the crap out of their fur. Let's kill them all. Like it's a special thing to be able to experience. And I hope that you do. Um, as I carried on, I went up to Post Oak Falls. I found a split in the trail and went up to Post Oak Falls, which was really cool. It actually had some water running, even for all the drought they have. It must be a spring-fed kind of fall, but it wasn't a heavy waterfall. If you go over to youtube.com forward slash wavered stories, you will see the latest video. I will be posting it sometime this afternoon after I get through editing 
this podcast of the same story. Um, but my experiential video will be over there probably later tonight. Um, go over and check it out. Like you can see everything I'm telling you guys is there in 4k. Like it's beautiful or however high a resolution YouTube will let you see it in, but I recorded it in 4k and I uploaded it in 4k. Um, and you guys can go over there and check it out as soon as I get it up and it'll be up tonight as well. Beautiful out there. You can see it all, but you can see this waterfall and it's so cool. It's a little slight Canyon. There's a deep pool of water right at the base. I could have probably climbed in it if I'd really wanted to and cooled off. I mean, who knows if the water's potable, but Hey, it was awesome. Hiked back out, ended up passing people that I'd passed earlier. They were going out. I was going up and suddenly I came up behind them and they were going the other way. And I was like, did I just see their doppelgangers a while ago? Or did they make some huge loop or did I make some huge loop and we're now crossing paths again and they were looking at me the same way and we kind of figured out by looking at our GPS tracks what had happened and they had made a huge loop around um, and came back on me all over again. It's y'all, It's like that back there. Multiple places you're going to run into dead ends and you have to find a way around or back out and try to find another way around a larger obstacle as opposed to the small one that kept you out of this canyon. You have to go up and go around another one. But anyway, go on over, go through the boulder field. It's getting a little wild um, and come out the other side and it starts to get God, There's some vistas back there, guys. I found this one vista. You'll see it in the video. I'm looking back towards the area of the valley, down the valley towards the area that's known as the boulder field or the boulder garden and looking across. And suddenly I realized something looked out of place up on the ridge above me. And there's a big elk um, looked like female elk. I'm not sure how elk seasons work with their, um, their antlers and sheds and all of that stuff, but it looked to be a female elk to me. And there were two of them, but I could see her pretty broadly and I could barely see the back half of the other one. Um, and they're just chilling up there and it looks down. It looked at me like I started kind of talking, making the video and I think it heard me and it turned and it looked at me and it was really, really cool. Beautiful, stunning vistas, beautiful outcroppings. And you're getting to the Northern end of the trail now where you're getting up close to sunset pool, which was going to be my turnaround point. Well, hiked on up. It, the, the route gets much easier. As soon as it dog legs to the right to head to Sunset Pool, you're like in a basically a creek bottom, river bottom, and it's smooth. The trail is wide. Super nice hike. An easy hike for that last little bit, maybe a mile or a kilometer and a half. But I get to Sunset Pool and I realize I got two hours to dark. It took me way too long to get here. These trails are crazy. I could probably follow more or less my main stem, my main trunk of the route I took that I have on my GPS lined out here, but I'm going to be pounding, pounding ground because I'm pinched for daylight now, and I'm not going to get out of here before dark, no matter how I cut it. And that terrain is so rough. And there are so many places there towards the Southern end, which is where my vehicle was parked. The terrain gets so rough that it's like, I don't, even with my flashlight, that's like a billion and a half lumens. I don't want to be trying to hike out here with rattlesnakes, with Buffalo, with boulders everywhere and certain drop-offs that are 30, 40 feet high in some places. I was like, this is not safe. I don't want to do this tonight. This is dangerous. So I made the unfortunate, um, you know, an uncomfortable really decision to stay there at the, uh, sunset pool area, which is like a designated camp area. I had my backpack or I had my hammock, just hammock, no rain fly, nothing at all in my backpack. Cause it kind of lives there. And I'm very thankful that I did because I'd have been sleeping on like a picnic table. Like, cause I just made the decision. I'm not beaten out of here with dark descending 
it gets dark way earlier in a slot canyon anyway. Y'all know this. This is actually really dangerous. I'm hiking alone. If I'd had someone with me, I probably would have hiked back out. Two of us with flashlights helping each other and their safety in numbers. Somebody to try to run out and get help or make it on out and get help if you did break something seriously or have a serious fall. But I was all alone. And this actually was kind of like a bad situation. And it's something I've talked about in the past, that cascading failure. You make one mistake. You make one false move based on anything. Just not wanting to stay the night in a little hammock, you know, nine and a half kilometers from your car with no other covering. Who knows if it's going to rain or whatever. That's not the most comfortable and best case scenario. Wasn't what I was looking to do last night. I was looking to hike out there and back, but it became apparent I could be putting myself in real danger. And you don't want to be the guy that has to get rescued. You really don't. Like not because not only because it's going to hurt the hell out of you most likely and you're in a world of hurt and maybe even more danger than that. But because you're literally putting a bunch of people out, everyone that's got to show up and organize a party or litter your tail out of there. Y'all, I've carried litters for a long ways, which human persons or in many training situations with something that weighs what a human person weighs on it in dead weight, littering people out of crazy terrain is a nightmare. It is tiring. It is, oh, it's miserable. You just don't want to be the person that they're having to do that for. So because in my pack, I had multiple snacky snacks, all my trail mix, um, actually one bag of M&Ms. I had three bottles of water. I was more than okay to not sit there and starve to death. Um, and I also had my hammock. I was like, I can at least sleep on something soft. I'm not going to have a pillow, but I'll be off the ground and it'll be soft. And it is pretty warm today. It'll be kind of, you know, it'll be temperate out here. Um, and it was until like early morning hours and it got very cold. And I started beating feet pretty early because I did have a flashlight in that first, you know, couple of kilometers is actually relatively safe to make in the dark. It was that last half that I didn't want to make in the dark. And I knew that the valley the trail was on the west side of the valley so that the sun would appear into the valley sooner than it was going to be like when it said it was going to get dark way early. But when it would be rising, it would be actually illuminating things way sooner just because of the orientation of the valley and the trail. So I started out before dark and I made that first couple kilometers. And about the time I started getting to rough terrain, really seriously t rough terrain, it was getting light enough for me to see and it worked out. And I pounded all the way back here to Fort Smith, Arkansas, to try to get this episode out for you guys here tonight on schedule, as expected. I've actually started getting emails and stuff about people saying things like, man, I really look forward to it. Every time an episode drops, it helps me get through my work day, which just, oh, it makes me glow. It makes my soul happy. But it also adds a level of, well, you can't just kick this one off a day, can you, Justin? Like there are people waiting on it now. It actually gives you a little bit of a level of accountability and um, motivation, self-starting, so to speak. Um, but yeah, y'all, I literally, it became a real wilderness adventure yesterday. Oh, and I mentioned something earlier about having a battery bank and why this is important. Y'all, the GPS was extremely important on this particular little trip. And one of the drawbacks of using a GPS on your phone is even with downloaded tracks. And of course it's pinging off a satellite. It's true GPS. It tells you where you are. You don't need cell service if you go that route, but any kind of mapping software sucks the hell out of a cell phone battery. And so I get there last night. You don't have any cell phone battery. How are you getting out here tomorrow? 
I had like a couple of percent left, several percent left, a couple of percent left. Um, but I was like, I have a battery bank. And I got my battery bank out and I got my phone charged up to only like 35% that battery bank. Another quick, another quick little aside here. I've always talked about, and I've said it before, changing out your backpack and going through it every, you know, maintenance wise, every six months, every season change, take out stuff you don't need for summer, put in stuff you do need for summer and change out all your batteries. Make sure everything like a battery bank is actually charged. Um, it's been almost six months. We are just now at the point I need to start thinking about getting my spring cleaning of my backpack together for the summer months. And that battery had drained over the course of six or seven months in my bag. It, you know, batteries will do that. They leach off, um, energy, um, or they leach off charge rather. And it had gotten close to doing it. It got me 35 to 38%. I think it was back, but, and that was just enough to get me out this next morning. It's, I had like 10% left when I got to the vehicle finally, but it could have very easily been dead. And I very could have, could have very easily been walking out blind this morning and out there in this area, Karen's gardens, the Wichita mountain, Southwest Oklahoma, it's not somewhere that I suggest you be walking around out there blind guys, like without any kind of GPS data whatsoever. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it with a good topo map and, and a good compass and just, you know, good land nav skills. Absolutely. You can do it. I mean, it's not that hard. As long as you have North and South, you're following a Canyon out. It's just going to be a lot more time consuming and harder to find trails that aren't blocked. If you're not following like a pre-established route or a route that someone else has basically followed previously, you know, things change out there. And I just, it would have been a tough morning getting out. I probably wouldn't be sitting here recording yet. And, you know, I'd have probably been set back another hour or two. But anyway, learn from my, well, it wasn't even a mistake, but learn from my close call there. And also learn from the idea of like, no, it wasn't my most optimal thing. I didn't want to stay there in my hammock overnight with no rain fly, with no sleeping bag to stay warm when it got freaking cold overnight, you know, eating trail mix and crap for dinner. That wasn't my super goal. I had other plans for last night, but safety comes first. Like I don't want to die out there. I have a daughter to think about. I have other stuff to think about. And that could have been a very, could have easily become a situation based on a, hasty decision I would make out of a selfish desire to just not be there overnight. I wanted to get out, but the smart thing to do was to stay and avoid tipping off the first domino in a cascading failure. That's what I chose to do. And it was like truly a wilderness experience. Y'all the noises you hear out there overnight. That is the one thing I love so much about very, very deep wilderness areas where it is truly wild. All the sounds of all the critters that live in the forest overnight and the noises they make. You want to talk about put you to sleep until it's like grunting and stuff. And you're like, mm, you remember my story from uh, the yak packing episode being awoken, awakened by a cow with his nose in my tent, sniffing my face. I was like, last night it did cross my mind. It's like, what you wake up with a friggin' Buffalo sniffing your face, hanging here in your hammock, not in a tent. Don't even have a rain fly over it to make it hard to access you. That didn't happen. But it did cross my mind. Anyway, guys, this ran on very long as they have been here lately. I hope that you enjoyed the episode tonight. Like I sure enjoyed making it. I enjoyed the adventure. Y'all, my soul needed that. I was literally, I was hurting. I was drowning and I needed that little 
taste of freedom, that open road adventure to somewhere I'd never seen just by the seat of my pants to go and see what happens. One of those no itinerary trips. I got an area to go see. Let's drive there and then let's see what happens. And what happened was getting to explore a folklore and treasure tell and wildlife beauty rich area of Oklahoma and not just Oklahoma, the United States. It's a very unique place all its own. It is reminiscent of the desert Southwest. It is reminiscent of the high peaks of Colorado and it's right there in Southwestern Oklahoma and probably much closer and more accessible to a great many of you who are listening to me. If you just need a little taste of it to satiate you until you get to go on your next week long adventure to somewhere in Utah or wherever it is you want to go. Um, Anyway, I appreciate you guys sticking around for the duration of this episode. I appreciate that you all keep coming back, and I really appreciate that you all are sharing it with people, and I ask that you continue to do so. And if you feel so kind and so inclined, please rate, review, and subscribe. I've mentioned it so many times, but it is so very important to help us get noticed and get our rankings boosted up to where we will get more visibility and more people will find us, and that is truly important to the continued production of this show. Anything else you guys need to find or want to see that we are doing waywardstories.com is the nexus for all things wayward stories the instagram the facebook the photo galleries the sherpa blog all the stuff is over there most of it right on the front page waywardstories.com and also check out the youtube like go watch the video from this trip that we talked about tonight and you will see some beautiful views youtube.com forward slash wayward stories and as always if you guys have any stories you'd like to share my wayward story at gmail.com and that's gonna do it for tonight i look forward to seeing you guys again um kind of you know metaphorically speaking because i can't really see you but i look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks where we'll be back with a fresh new episode until we meet again You guys go out there and be good to each other.